Welcome to KBCast, the podcast for security executives, interviewing people from around the globe on how organizations can operate smarter and stay safer. Here's Carissa Breen. I caught up with Adam Dijon from Siamast and we spoke about the world of IoT and some of his concerns around the future of this space. As we're growing in numbers every day with connected devices, Adam talks through the challenges the industry will face in securing them. He chats through how companies need to start paying more attention to IoT and some of his advice towards this. If you're keen to learn more about the Internet of Things and understanding how Adam views this space, then please keep on listening. Adam, I'm really excited to have you on our podcast today. I've heard a lot about you as a professional and as a person, but also a little bit more about what SciMass is doing. So before we dive on into what you guys do day to day, we always like to start our podcast off with talking about you and your journey. So can you talk our listeners through where you started to what you're doing now? Yeah, sure thing, KB. Well, first and foremost, thanks a lot for having me on. Uh, I'm originally from Australia, but uh, I was born with a dual citizenship between Australia and the United States. Cumulatively, I've spent the majority of my life in Australia, but uh, as I'm sure you can probably tell, I've got a slight North American twang Mm -hmm. uh, that was attributed to almost a decade of time that I spent in the US, which started uh, kind of early early 2000s in perhaps a moment of youthful indiscretion. I took advantage of this dual citizenship that I have and joined the US military. Uh, I initially trained in, I guess, what could be equivalent of signals here in the, uh, in the defense force here, but tactical communication systems. But I found myself sent to a highly deployable combat centric unit where I was embedded and uh, working with teams of consummate professionals supporting the interests of the United States as part of Operation Iraqi Freedom. Uh, I spent a tremendous amount of time overseas working with absolutely amazing people. And I probably would have continued on that journey had it not been for holding multiple passports, which uh, I was unfortunately mm-hmm. not prepared to give up on account of having some uh, some of my immediate family, while my extended family was in the United States, my immediate family was here. So unfortunately, holding multiple passports precluded me from entering into some of the more specialized communities. So I therefore had to make a, uh, a bit of a tough decision and transition out where I was uh, able to take advantage of some of the amazing educational programs the United States offers combat veterans. So following some tertiary studies in health sciences, I moved back to Australia in, in about 2012, originally with the intention of, uh, of moving into medicine. But as uh, all the best laid plans go astray, uh, I found myself ending up in a couple of general management roles before pivoting into cybersecurity. I had the absolute privilege of being one of the early employees for a company called Diamond Cybersecurity, which uh, is based out of Perth. I think uh, when I first joined Diamond Cyber, it was about five or six people. And we built that to a pretty respectable business, providing advisory services, governance, risk compliance, penetration, testing, and things of that nature. And, uh, and Diamond Cyber was acquired by CyberCX as part of that large-scale industry roll-up of professional cyber firms here in Australia. So that kind of led to where I am now. So we've had a fair few people on our podcast in the past that have come from a military background, both in Australia and the US. Would you say that that was sort of an advantage to what you're doing today? Yeah, I think so. If I'm being honest, it wasn't until I got to Diamond Cyber that I realized how transferable those skills were from the military into a cybersecurity context. I was fortunate to work with some uh, some members of the Australian Special Forces security community that uh, had cybersecurity roles within that environment. And it really helped me understand that the cybersecurity problem is not too dissimilar from kind of the conventional notions of warfare, just in a slightly different context. So I'd have to say that uh, in terms of understanding risk 
and how to mitigate risk, albeit in a slightly different domain, the military certainly provided you know, an ideal training ground for that transfer into the civilian sector. Talk to me about how you got involved in Cymas. Like, what's the story? Okay. So following the acquisition of Diamond Cyber, I took a little sabbatical from the workforce to further some MBA studies. I was accepted to the uh, full-time MBA program at UNSW over here in Sydney. And it was actually about this time last year that I was introduced to a team of researchers and academics at UNSW's School of Electrical Engineering and Telecommunications. And they were doing some really, really impressive work centered around software-defined networking, machine learning, and IoT cybersecurity. And I guess long story short, they built some really impressive technology in a research capacity. And it didn't take too long for me to realize that they were pioneering some pretty impressive stuff. And that between all of us, we had a pretty complementary set of capabilities. So we teamed up, we tested a few hypotheses and assumptions, and uh, we hit the street, raised some venture capital, and we spun the company out to commercialize this relatively new and exciting technology that we've developed. Perfect. Okay. So, Adam, I, I read recently that there are projected to be around 50 billion IoT devices by the end of this year. I mean, that's sort of give and take, and that's a lot per person. So, where is all this growth sort of coming from? Household, industrial, military? That's a, a really, really interesting question, KB. I think it's really important to define what we mean by IoT here because it can mean a lot of things to a lot of different people. It can be consumer mm-hmm. devices to someone or it can be industrial control systems to someone else. But uh, we like to refer to, to IoT as, as connected devices. And I've actually heard it uh, referred to as, uh, as ubiquitous connectivity in that it's kind of bringing the physical and the digital worlds together. But uh, there are a lot of conflicting reports around different forecasts of the numbers of devices. The most recent report I read, I think, actually said there was about 80 billion by 2025. But the premise of your question, yeah, you're 100% right. Adoption of IoT or connected devices is growing exponentially within practically every industry sector. Now, this is largely due to the fact that there's some very real benefits that they can provide. If you think about you know, business insights, operational efficiencies, uh, in a healthcare environment, for example, you get better patient uh, care or health outcomes through remote monitoring, such as you know, and things like wearables. But the majority of the growth that we're seeing is attributed to the industrial space, where I think 60% of that growth is coming from the industrial sector. Uh, and this is largely due to the fact that it's just ripe for disruption due to some pretty antiquated technologies. But we're seeing significant growth in healthcare and government. If you think about the smart cities initiatives, all the different forms of connected devices that are going into the next stage of city planning, as well as defense. And of course, consumer devices are just coming to market in the absolute millions. As, as I'm sure you can imagine, the consequence of this mass adoption uh, is, uh, does present some challenges from a security perspective. Mm, okay. So what are some of your concerns from a security point of view with having so many devices connected to the internet? Mm. First and foremost, my concern is this proportionally large attack surface relative to the number of devices. Mm-hmm. Um, IoT devices are what we like to call heterogeneous in nature. They're typically a you know, mismatch of, of hardware, software, and, and firmware from a pretty fragmented supply chain. So they're riddled with inherent vulnerabilities and the full ramifications of what those present to organizations as well as in the consumer devices as well is yet to be fully understood. Being a general security practitioner, is that sort of worry about what we're in for as a society as we evolve so quickly in the technology space? Yeah, look, I think so. I think the you know the, the benefits of IoT or connected devices generally are absolutely undeniable. But as is often mm-hmm. the case with cybersecurity, is it's it's oftentimes an afterthought. 
So I think this mass proliferation of devices, for the, again, for the very real benefits that they provide society, uh, the full implications or the security consequences of those are yet to be fully discovered and understood, which is very concerning because there's no slowing down of the adoption mm. of devices. No, you're absolutely right. And just to sort of just touch on what you said there, security is an afterthought. Now, that's well, hopefully changing face with secure by design and and all of those types of things. Would you say that we're still pretty far off in terms of security being an afterthought? Or would you say that gap's definitely starting to close now as we sort of mature as an industry? Look, I, I think the gap is closing, generally speaking, across the board with respect to cybersecurity. I think in software development, for example, secure by design is a movement that's getting some significant traction. But uh, I think with within IoT cybersecurity, there's a few other considerations that come into the equation, and those being manufacturers' economics. There's not a lot of incentive for manufacturers to build these devices, and building security into these devices, rather, is an expensive endeavor. And the name of the game in IoT device manufacturers is getting the devices to market as fast as possible. And they're designed to serve what is oftentimes relatively rudimentary uh, mm-hmm. functions or purposes. So embedding security into these changes the economics of the manufacturing process. And consequently, to build a more secure device means that you are making a more expensive device, which impacts the adoption rate. So unfortunately, particularly at the consumer level, there's not a lot of incentive uh, for manufacturers to change their ways because it is such a race to market to get it there and use no, you're absolutely right. I interviewed uh, someone else, actually. I believe the podcast is coming out this week. We went pretty far down the rabbit hole talking about uh, Wi-Fi devices, but then going all the way back through to like the manufacturing. And my question really was, well, do you think they are going to build these devices securely? And the interview is just like, no, because it's going to cost more. No one's willing to pay for that cost. Would you sort of say then over time, that's probably never going to change because there's no real benefit to them to increase their prices. It's not going to be as appetizing to a consumer because they have to pay more for Mm. a secure device. And at the end of the day, to them, I don't know if it really means enough for them to pay substantially more for a device. Would you say that's a fair assumption? I I think that's a very fair assumption. Mm-hmm. And uh, look, I think there is some work being done. I think the, the IoT Alliance of Australia here has put out some white papers. And so I'm going to butcher the terminology here. But I think they're moving towards a, I think this is particularly relevant to the consumer side of things, but uh, a Trustmark certification program to inform consumers about the inherent security vulnerabilities or the security posture of those devices. Mm-hmm. I think what they're trying to do is move towards, um, you know, how with your fridges or your stove, for example, or your microwave, you've got an energy rating system. Oh, yes, yes, yes. The little stars on the yeah, sticker. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So there's there's a bit of work being done around moving towards a security rating system for IoT devices as a way to inform consumers, whether that be you know individuals within society or businesses, just to give them a little bit of a you know additional context and you know information about the inherent security of that device. But uh, all of these to date are considered voluntary, and the problem with uh, with voluntary standards mm. are they they're not enforceable. So. I had spoken to another lady recently and she had conducted a whole bunch of research around Australians in particular that don't necessarily care about privacy and security for that matter. So with this rating system that you've just spoken about, would you say that people are necessarily going to care about that? If we're talking about an average Australian person that has no clue about privacy or security, do you think that they'd necessarily adopt that? What's your thoughts on that? 
You know, I think a rating system sends a pretty powerful message. How much that will impact consumer buying patterns, I don't know. Mm-hmm. At this stage, it's so early that I think cost is really the main driver in, uh, mm-hmm. in an individual or an organization's buying uh, or decision around buying a particular device. No, you're absolutely right, especially if it's quite commoditized uh, device as well. Mm. Would you say also, Adam, because you're working in this space, do you think that the manufacturing of these devices will become regulated? I don't think the manufacturing process will become regulated, but I do think more robust and enforceable standards and procedures or policies and procedures governing the use of those within enterprise and then also within the general consumer segment will start to come into it. There is some talk around uh, evolving standards and, and procedures, but I, you know, I still think that's pretty far away. Okay. <laughs> I just thought I'd ask. Yeah. So- Adam, what I'd love to move on to next is how would you describe SciMast and how is that different from a traditional NAT solution? Yeah, great question. Look, firstly, I think it's pretty important to note that where applicable, NAC, firewalls, IDS, IPS, Mm -hmm. you know, all of these different security systems are a really important component of a multi-layered security posture. But uh, what we've highlighted in our research and in live environments as well, that many of these traditional security approaches often miss a very key element, and that is device context and behavior within accepted parameters. Mm -hmm. So if you take a NAC, for example, it's designed Mm -hmm. for access control rather than the monitoring of device behavior. And uh, many of them don't recognize the full broad range of IoT devices that exist out there. So in our view, our solution is very much complementary to a NAC in that we can identify and classify and analyze the behavior of all of the different devices by looking at network behavior. So we, we can pick that that missing piece that is that key element that's device behavioral context. And how would you say does SciMass identify and protect devices for an organization? Like how does SciMass technology work? That's a great question. So SciMast has developed a suite of proprietary technologies that leverage software-defined networking and machine learning. So not too dissimilar from some of the other you know, detection systems out there where you know, we can sit on a span port or you know, a mirror of traffic, but we identify, classify, profile, and monitor the intended behaviors of devices by looking at network traffic. So what we do is we pick out a unique identifier that like it could be a MAC address or it could be an IP address, mm-hmm. but we analyze the endpoints, the ports, the protocols, and most importantly, the volume of traffic it generates to classify and profile the network behavior of those individual devices. So we automatically build models of intended behavior, and then we monitor device flows to detect any deviations in in what's considered expected behavior. So what's beautiful about our system is that we don't do packet inspection, we do network flow analysis. So by by observing flow anomalies, we we can actually kill individual flows without inhibiting device function through simple integrations with other existing security infrastructure. In other words, and long story short, SIMAST has, it's kind of akin to the whitelisting of network traffic as opposed to blacklisting. We've built a suite of models that you could view as like a suite of medical specialists, just like you go see a cardiologist for your heart or a, mm-hmm. you know, a renal specialist for your kidney. Uh, we, we analyze all of the unique characteristics about how a device behaves. So we've got a suite of detection engines that allows us to passively discover all of those network devices, connected devices. 
We can then present them all in an inventory list that's broken down by whatever you can think of, uh, asset type, composition, network activity. And then we've got the suite of monitoring engines that, that essentially are checking the health at various timescales of that device to detect any deviations from what is an expected behavioral profile. We build a, a benign profile of how a device is supposed to function that's consistent with the manufacturer's usage descriptions. For a device to function, it needs to communicate across XYZ ports using these types of protocols. And then what we do is we say, by definition, anything outside of what it is supposed to do is considered anomalous. Now, anomalous might not in every instance be a sign of compromise. It could also be a mm -hmm. sign of malfunction. But it's very, very fine granular details around device behavior in the context of how it functions in order to perform its duties or its role is where we add real value. And so, Adam, what are some of your concerns then governing the scalability of IoT devices for a company? Like how should people be looking to manage this? That's a really, really interesting question, KB. I think, uh, as I've mentioned, the inherent benefits of IoT are undeniable in terms of the rich and diverse functions that you can achieve as a business or as a general kind of consumer. But I think the inherent vulnerabilities in those devices on account of the manufacturer's economics, there's minimal incentives for them to be secured and no formally enforced standards, really presents some, some significant challenges around security with respect to this mass adoption. Really important step to address these risks is to know what devices are connected on your network and where they are in the network. And our, our position as a network, the detection and response uh, technology is that visibility is key. Understanding what devices you have on your network and what they're doing is the most effective way of addressing the cybersecurity challenge associated with mass adoption of these devices. Would you say more often than not that when you go into an organization and you ask them like, what devices are connected to your network? Would a lot of people in the security sort of division answer that question quite intelligently or are they still like, oh, uh, we've got this, but there could be something else? Like what's sort of their typical response when you ask people that question? I think it differs a little bit from department to department. Uh, if, you, if you're mm -hmm. talking about people associated with network security, they might have mm -hmm. a little bit more of a detailed understanding of what's on there. But fundamentally, the you know the challenge around what exists on your network is still a formidable challenge for most organizations. In fact, we have some conversations with prospective customers, not necessarily centered around the monitoring function that we provide, but it's just that network detection and asset registry component because understanding what devices exist on your network is still a formidable challenge. No, you're absolutely right. So what do you believe the problems will be if we don't start paying attention more to IoT from a security perspective? As you mentioned earlier, there's about $80 billion in the next couple of years, uh, which is quite an exorbitant amount of devices. But mm. what are some of the implications, particularly in applications that carry more inherent risk? Mm. So... Look, I think in terms of IoT security, I like to kind of describe it as we're, we're kind of at the pre 9-11 stage of, uh, you know, of cybersecurity. A lot of the research suggests that the cyber adversaries are deep in developing monetizing strategies for IoT attacks. You know, at attacks are growing exponentially, but the impact or the effect of those attacks, you know, is still quite a wide spectrum. If you think about a $100 vulnerable sensor in a multi-million dollar network, the implications limited by your imagination, really. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I guess it only takes really one unknown device or, you know, one open port, one uncontained threat for a very, very high impact attack to occur. 
So, Adam, just to go a bit deeper on one of your points that you made earlier, what do you mean specifically when you say pre-9-11 stage? Like how close to 9-11 are we talking here? Mm. That's a really, really tough to answer on a timeline. Look, I think we're close. You have mm-hmm. to look at what these adversarial groups are doing. Some of the attacker groups are more advanced than others, but ultimately the impact severity and the ubiquitous nature of these attacks are going to be proportional to the amount of money. I mean, cybercrime is a criminal enterprise, right? So mm-hmm. I think the research suggests that we are not too far off. And I think within the next 12 to 18 months, we're going mm-hmm. to start to see some pretty high profile attacks attributed to IoT vulnerabilities within critical infrastructure and particularly government as well. See, that's pretty concerning. So when you talk about critical infrastructure, right, if you're working on a power plant and something obviously is compromised, that's significantly worse than if people lose money. And I can say this because I worked in a bank and yes, the bank loses money and all that type of stuff. But if people's lives are being lost due to a vulnerability being exposed, that really concerns me. So what what are your sort of thoughts on that in terms of how we're really going to address this problem then? Like losing money is one thing, but no, uh, when we talk about life or death, that is pretty concerning. No, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. I think we can even park this conversation away from IoT. This is you know more generally a security challenge. Once money is one thing, but loss of life is a significantly different paradigm. In fact, I think I read recently, now I'm not sure, I haven't done research into what the, the exact nature of the attack was, but I think there was a pretty recent report that there is the first loss of life attributed to a ransomware attack yes. due to the fact that critical patient care was not able to be administered on account of this attack. And that has huge implications to society as a whole. I have to ask something. So I don't know whether you've seen the show Homeland, but I mean, it's obviously a little bit far-fetched to what actually goes on, I'm assuming. The president in that show, what do you call your heart monitoring? Oh, yeah. The the implantable cardi, yeah, an implantable defibrillator. That's actually a real example. (laughs) Well, basically in the show, um, well, let's call it the traitor guy obviously had said like he had broken into his office and said, this is the number. Um, And so the other side uh, clearly compromised that and the guy died. So Mm. I'm just saying that, do you think that's something that could become uh, more prominent, would you say? Because that is pretty concerning. Look, I, I would really hope that that's not the case. Unfortunately, that is a very real attack vector or a threat vector that exists. In fact, I know of a, uh, I think it was in 2018, a manufacturer of implantable defibrillators that had gone through FDA approval. Known vulnerabilities uh, were discovered in that device that could do exactly what you've just described from that episode of Homeland, where you can artificially induce a, a heart attack on an individual mm-hmm. who's got this device in there. Look, I think it comes back to, I guess, motivation and intent of the attackers. Is is there scope for financial gain to enact on such a pernicious, malicious uh, act? I don't know. You could say perhaps there's a case to discredit the manufacturer of whoever has created this device. So there might be scope for discrediting or some monetary recovery through some form of a ransom at that level. But uh, I, I would really hope that that's not the case, that, that cyber adversaries are actually looking to target devices for the pure play loss of life. But I really don't know. I can't speak too intelligently on that. But it is a very, very real concern. 
And I say that because I guess uh, people listening to this would be familiar with that show. And I wanted to sort of bring it back to how real these things can be. And I think that something like that, that would have to be quite a targeted attack, I'd say, like if it's like a high net worth individual or something Mm. like that. But for the average person, I would say probably safe. But in saying that, I mean, it depends, right? If it's very easy to do that, then who knows what may happen. I'm just trying to really illuminate here uh, the implications of what could go wrong in this world Mm. that we are really ushering into. But Mm. Adam, I'd love to sort of close our conversation with, do you believe we're even ready to face the security concerns around IoT when we can't even manage the basics? And when I say basics, like patch management, right? Like we've been talking Mm. about this for 20 years and we're still not there. Within reason and Also, yes and no. So to a certain extent, I'd say within large-scale organizations, particularly within the critical infrastructure space and and within healthcare, there is a much higher level of understanding of the risks associated with this particular asset class, particularly in industries where there's a really, really high cost of downtime. Cybersecurity professionals working there are enacting on measures to try and mitigate that risk by implementing prudent strategies like air gapping or network segmentation or implementing technologies like ours, for example. What we have shown unfortunately, is that there are some limitations and a bit of a false sense of security with, with say, air gapping, but that's not the, uh, you know, the premise of this question. But to answer it directly, yes, within large-scale organizations, the required level of acceptance of the problem and initiatives being undertaken to try and combat that. But where the real challenge lies is in the cost effectiveness of solutions in the mid-market. So I think there's still a huge education piece that needs to happen around the inherent vulnerabilities associated with these devices themselves. And a limited set, unfortunately, there's a limited set of cost-effective solutions to combat that at an effective level. Okay, well, Adam, I really do appreciate you spending the time uh, talking to me and the audience about IoT. If people have a question that perhaps I didn't ask you today, how can they go about reaching out to you? Look, thanks a lot. It was an absolute pleasure to be on, and I'm delighted to be in the company of such esteemed guests that you had in the past. I am or relatively active on LinkedIn, so please feel free to reach out to me directly on LinkedIn or uh, my email is quite easily accessible as well. As always, Adam, I really do appreciate your time and a lot of the insight that you've provided on our show today. Thanks very much. Thanks for tuning in. As always, we hope you got some new ideas or ways of thinking from this episode. And remember, you can always reach out to our guests if you do have more questions. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and we always love to hear your feedback. So leave a review on iTunes and we might just give you a shout out on a future episode. You can find me on LinkedIn as well as on at I am Carissa Breen on Twitter and Instagram. And if you'd like to know more about how we help tech companies, check out carissabreenindustries.com. Until next time, stay safer.